0: why it's a simple question that has no simple answers you're not alone in these questions today we are going to answer the question why do bad things happen to good people enjoy the message there's a lot of times that we want more understanding about those things in life that don't quite make sense so i thought uh since we're all in this quest for understanding together since we all have questions about who god is and how this whole world works I figured I would go to the one place where I was sure to find the question on everyone's hearts. The number one search result for the question that people have revolving why. So I went to Google Trends. I typed in the question why and I searched for North America. I said, I want to know what people in North America are wondering. So I was like, with all these hundreds of millions of search results, surely I will find the one question that people want answered. And as I searched the answer, I found it. The number one question searched last week, why is Hulu not working? (laughs) (sighs) And I thought to myself, surely, surely there must have been some nationwide outage. Perhaps I'm asking the wrong question. So I said, I'm going to narrow my search results. I'm going to go from North America. I'm going to zero in. On Wisconsin so I click Wisconsin and I type the question why and the answer pops right up why am I feeling nauseous (laughs) as if Google is going to be able to help you with that answer I'm just sitting there thinking like okay okay well uh, if you're sitting here today and you're feeling nauseous you probably have what the rest of the state has and we'll be praying for you (laughs) because apparently it's a really big deal so then I found out you can go one step further you can zero in on the city of Milwaukee. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to get into to what our region is asking. What is the question that Milwaukee and surrounding areas is asking when they want to know why? So I was like, this is going to be it. I've went 0 for 2. In baseball, 0 for 3 is a really bad day. So here we go. Uh, why is my dog eating grass? It's like, thanks, Google. You know, it would have been a really great intro to my sermon if you would have just given me something to work with. But I think that's really telling of what society is like today. I think it's really telling that we have these deep questions that actually matter, but what we search online and what we talk about with our friends and what we share with our coworkers is actually superficial and not really that big of a deal. So today's question is, is revolving a question about God that a lot of people have, and a lot of people aren't vocalizing. In fact, the reason I settled on, on this question is because of a situation that happened at work. One of my coworkers' uh, close family friends died in a tragic accident. And we're sitting there, we're talking about it. Uh, my coworker and I are good friends, uh, Christians, and we're praying. And we're just like, man, this is a terrible thing. We wish it never would have happened. And another coworker walks in. And, and we, we start talking, and we're just like, yeah, you know, God's got plans, and sometimes we don't always see the way it pans out. And this is the moment. For all of us in this room, these are the moments that we as Christians need to engage. We as Christians need to have an answer for what happens in life. And, and he comes in here and he says, um, Yeah, there, I, I'm not saying there isn't a God, but it just doesn't make sense. Because I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. And we've all asked this question in some sense of the form, and to kind of unpack it a little bit this morning, we're going to kind of go into the, into the roots of the question, into the philosophy behind what people are thinking. Because whether you, whether you acknowledge it or not, we all have these same underlying doubts. We all have these same underlying questions that we want to know about God. We all want to know, if God is good, right, and he's all-powerful, then how do you explain evil and suffering, right? Right? If you're good, God, uh, but there's evil in the world, are you really good if you allow evil to persist, right? Because a good God surely would want to get rid of evil. And if you're all-powerful and evil is persisting, then maybe you're really not powerful enough to quench the evil in the world, to rid the suffering that people are, are, are experiencing. So because evil and suffering exist, we, we neither have a good nor an all-powerful God. It's a really challenging question. And I think every single one of us needs to be able to answer it this morning. Every single one of us needs to understand the place that we're in as people who claim Jesus as our hope, as, as people who claim that we know the truth and we can find the hope behind the question. And so when people bring those, those uh, questions to you, how are you going to answer it? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you realize that you know, pain and suffering and evil might be ph- philosophical questions, but they're also practical and personal realities. And so it's, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to have an answer in the season for what you're going through. And so um, this is all going to be something that we're going to have to respond to at some point in our lives. And today's main point, it's going to sound a little cheesy, but as we unpack the rest of the message this morning, I think you'll understand kind of what we want to take uh, as we leave this place today. The main point here is, that God's already done the stressing, so you can receive the blessing. All right, I know, I know. I I wanted to make something memorable, but but you'll see how this works. Uh, our passage that we're going to be in this morning, it's all going to revolve around 1 Peter chapter one, verses three through nine. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of dig into this text, look at it from a couple different angles, and see what is the stressing that God's done, and what is the blessing that He wants us uh, to take as we interact with. Uh, the evil and suffering around us. So um, first off, we're going to see as we unpack this section that wherever you're at this morning, even if you, you're, you're considering God or maybe you've, you're not sure where you stand with him, we're going to realize that abandoning our faith or running away from God is not an acceptable answer to the problem of evil and suffering in the world. And why is that? Because in verses 6 and 7, I'm going I'm to uh, shorten this a little bit, but he says, You rejoice, even though you suffer, so that your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor. He says that the pain and suffering and evil that you experience in your life doesn't have to weaken your faith. As a matter of fact, it can strengthen it. Why? Because in life, we don't always see the whole picture. And so much of the Christian walk, so much of of following Jesus, is believing in things that you don't see. And you see this in verse 8. Though you have seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible glory and joy. When you think about the problem of evil and suffering in the world, there's a book in the Old Testament. It's called Job, and it's, it's essentially a story about a guy who, who was, was blameless. God's like, look, of all the people in the world, Job is, is next level, right? Um, and, and God and Satan actually get into this little arrangement. He's like, hey, you can test Job's faith however you want. Just don't kill him, Okay? And, and, you know, it's like, all right, great. Um, oftentimes, the, 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 the most spiritual of us are, are going to be the ones that, that the, the, you know, the enemy is going to want to take down. So here we go. Um, in fact, uh, here's what Job loses. Job loses his home. Job loses all of his possessions, his, his cattle, his livestock, um, crops and all that stuff. He loses his entire family, right? He loses everything. And it's like, for us today, it'd be like, what would happen if we lost our home, we lost all of our retirement, we lost all of our family? We'd be sitting in this spot alone, uh, it's just us and God. Well, that's, that's pretty terrible. That's not a situation I'd want to wish on anyone else, right? And, 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 we, and we go on this 40-chapter journey of this, of this dialogue between Job and his friends, and then God pipes in at the end. After debating all of these reasons why the suffering could happen, God reminds Job, just like Peter reminds us today, that running away from God doesn't help our situation. That God's sovereign among, above all things. And that ultimately, um, uh, by choosing to reject God, you're going to get your definition of good and evil from somewhere. That ultimately, God was the one that set the universe, that set the, the whole uh, way of life into motion. And we have to believe in things that oftentimes we don't see. Oftentimes you don't understand, and often uh, that's what faith is, right? So, if you choose to reject God, the question then is, how are you going to define good and evil, right? If you've ever tried to play a game, maybe it's a, uh, anybody here have, like, young kids? Um, and you all have, like, uh, they, they like to make up these games, right? So it's like, hey, Daddy, let's play a game. I'm like, all right, what are we going to play? Well, um we're going to play in the gym, and I'm going to have a ball, and you're not, and when I hit you with the ball, you lose. (laughs) Okay, great. This game sounds wonderful. How do I win? Well, uh, you can get the ball, but I'm the only one who can touch it. It's like, ugh. So now you understand why Hasbro includes a rule book with every single one of their games, right? Because the fact is, the rules of the game have to exist outside of the game in order for the game to be fair, right? And that, that's exactly what... Uh, uh, that's exactly one of the classic, like, like, tactics that the kids use to win these games, is they make up these invisible rules, and in the middle of the game, they try, and ch- try to change the rules because they want to win, and they don't want Daddy to win, which is fine. I get it. I get it. I'm not mad. Although I've lost every single one of those games. <laughs> so... Just like the rule book from Hasbro, there's a higher standard that has to exist outside of life. There's a higher standard that has to govern what good and bad is. And if you don't believe in God, I would just, I'm just going to ask you, here's the question, is where does your standard come from? Because if it doesn't come from outside of the game, then you're creating the rules in the game. And really, we're, we're going to be in this dialogue. And it's going to be your opinion versus my opinion versus her opinion versus his opinion. And we know from society today, none of us have the same opinion on anything. We can't agree on much these days. And so for you to tell me that it's evil and for for him to tell her that it's evil, we're just getting into this game of of eventually who's going to win the debate, right? Who's going to be the first person to throw their hands up and say, not I agree with you, but I'm done, I'm leaving the conversation, right? So we need to have this higher standard uh, from something else. And even taking it a step further, not just our opinion on, on current events, not just our opinion on, on your situation today, but how about historic events? Because if you don't get your standard from outside of life today, then how are you to judge what's happened in history? How are you to look back in the past and say that this action right here is, is unequivocally evil? You can't. Because you're literally just putting your opinion of history against someone else's and someone else's and someone else's. And so we can't frame anything from the world around us with the lens of truth. So if you abandon your belief in God, then the only thing that matters is nature, right? The only thing that matters is what you can see, what you can hear, what you can touch, what you can smell, what you can actually tangibly uh, uh, interact with, right? Because where else are you going to get your standards from? And... If you want to say that, that the only thing that matters is nature, then that's fine. Let's look at nature for a second. Let, let, let's, let's stay on this hypothetical path together. If, if we want to say we reject God, if we want to say that rejecting God is going to help us get through our pain and our suffering, then we have to go to what we can tangibly interact with, what we can see, right? So nature, what's the nature cycle life? It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's natural selection. It's the fit survive, survival of the fittest, Right? And I don't think we want to condone violence, do we? I don't think we want to live in a world where our governing, uh, where the way that we see the, the truth around us is based on the power structures and whoever is, is whoever the conquerors write history, right? I don't think we want to be in a spot like that. So when you say that you want to run away from God to solve the problem of your evil and suffering, really you're deceiving yourself. Really, you're buying into this into this um, into this notion that that you know, nature is going to have your, have your solution. And, and I think that the natural order of violence, when, you, when thought about, somehow becomes unnatural. And really, you can't really blame God to deal with the pain and suffering that you've experienced. All right, Pastor Well, that's enough. That's enough theory. We can talk about pain and suffering all day. I didn't sign up for Philosophy 101. Uh, but let's get real. Because every single one of us in the room today needs a tangible answer to how we're going to deal with pain and suffering. Not theoretical, but for the real experiences uh, that that's set into life. So let's get practical. Let's zero in on Peter's words here and go with the understanding that even if you're not calling yourself a Christian here this morning, I'd like you to consider the, the, the worldview that perhaps God might have something to say to you in your situation when you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through the worst that the world can throw your way, all right? Because... Our main point, God's already done the stressing, so you can receive the blessing. 1 Peter 1.7. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire. When you think about this proven character, right? When you think about uh, uh, what this concept of, of character is, I've oftentimes described it as doing the right thing even when no one's watching, especially when no one's watching. Because that's where your character is really on display. When you have nothing to gain from a situation, how do you act? Do you act, you know, oh yeah, you know, I got my suit and my tie on Sundays, got my fancy pants on, I'm ready to, to worship God. But Monday through Saturday, it, it's the, the farthest thing from the truth, right? Are we putting on masks when we're here or are we genuinely living out our faith throughout the week, right? So character is those things that We do behind the scenes when no one else is looking. And I oftentimes uh, like to think of the movie Thor Ragnarok. Any Thor fans here? See, it was really easy for Thor to be all kingly, to be the superhero, to get all the praise when life was good in the beginning of the movie, right? What happened as soon as adversity set in? It got real. It got real. He had to step up. He couldn't just kick back and enjoy the daisies, right? He had to actually get in the game and be the hero that he claimed to be, right? He had to rally the troops. He had to save his his little kingdom there on the rainbow road with the sword, right? Like, that's what he did. So just as it was easy for the hero to sit back during the good times, just as it was easy to enjoy the perks of his royal situation, um, everything changed once adversity set in. And it's in that adversity, it was in in those painful, struggling, people-getting-killed moments that the hero that the character of Thor was on display. And we see why he was one of the Avengers, right? We see why he was in the group that, that saved the world. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? And, and that's, and that's kind of the, the, uh, the point that Peter's trying to make here. It, and, and he equates this to this proven character, to this refining of your character. He equates this to a furnace, where you put precious metal into a furnace, right? Right? And I think it's more than likely that perhaps Peter was thinking of another furnace in the Old Testament where God used this furnace to refine faith in three Jewish men, right? See, in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar built this giant statue of himself. And he he decreed that everybody in the kingdom was going to worship this statue. And when they found out that these uh, uh, three Jewish men weren't going to worship the statue, but instead worship the God of Israel... Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar got mad. Some could say his anger burned, right? He stoked this fire that was so hot that he had these guys tied up and they were going to throw them into this fiery furnace, right? Well, the, the flames are so hot that the people that threw the guys into the furnace ended up getting burned themselves, okay? So you can imagine. We've seen uncontrolled fires before, right? We've seen, we've seen flames that go up and we're like, oh my goodness, look at all the black smoke. Well, imagine... A flame that's so hot that you don't even have to be in the furnace and you're getting engulfed in the flame. You're getting burnt to smithereens or whatever you want to say. Like, that's hot. That's a fiery furnace. That's trial. That's, that could be exactly what Peter is referring to in this verse. So, what happens? Uh, in, in the story in Daniel chapter 3, the three men are thrown into the fire and King Nebuchadnezzar says this. He jumps up in alarm and he says, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. But look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the flames, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So what do we see here? King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm so mad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna wreck your faith. You're not going to defy me, I'm the king. I'm going to throw you in, wait a little bit. When it's safe from a far distance, stand back and look. And there's not three, there's four. So the question then... Who's the fourth man? What happened in that fiery furnace, right? What was God doing in this story? And, and, and the promise that we have to look at this morning, and the promise that you need to uh, keep in, the, in your memory, that the promise that needs to be on the forefront of your mind when you're facing pain and suffering and evil in this world, is Isaiah 43. God says, Do not fear. I have redeemed you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And I love the way that Pastor Tim Keller emphasizes this section. He says, notice what God's promise is here. The promise is not that when you go, that you won't go through deep waters or fiery trials, right? Job, the greatest Christian in that whole section of scripture, He got tested far beyond anything that I've ever seen in my life. The promise is not that if you go through the deep waters or the fiery trials that God will be with you. The promise is when. And the promise is that when you are walking through the fiery furnace, when you are going through the deep waters, when you are going through the pain and the suffering and the evil of this world, that God is walking through it with you. The promise is that these trials are going to prove the character of your faith. The promise is that these trials won't break you because you're walking alongside God. And because God's already done the stressing, because God's walking alongside of you, you can receive the blessing. So if you've ever wondered why a good God allows evil and suffering, then perhaps, perhaps just maybe, God's promises are to prosper you. God's promises are to grow you. God's promises are to refine you like precious metal in a furnace. Perhaps just maybe, you can't see the whole picture, right? Perhaps you don't understand what the evil is today, but there could be refining coming in the future. And when you choose to walk through God, when you, when you walk through it with God, when you choose to worship him in spite of the trials that you're going through, you will be refined. That's the promise, right? Look, I have a daughter. You could say she's the apple of my eye. You could say that she's got my heart tied around her little finger. She's two, all right? My kids don't like shots. Anybody in here like shots? Just curious. Okay, I didn't think I'd get any takers on that one. But you should have seen the way that Aubrey looked at my wife the last time she got her shots. She's sitting there. Parents bring her to the doctor's office. Obviously, the parents want good for her, right? We would never do anything to hurt our precious little two-year-old, would we? Are we cruel? Are we evil? Do we want her to suffer? And all of a sudden, the doctor walks in. I can only imagine from her perspective this needle is like a mile long. Da-dun. Da-dun. da da The needle's coming in. She's looking at my wife. My wife's looking at her. They're starting to hold it tight. The needle goes into her arm. Dink ding, ding. No flailing. No screaming. No crying. No fussing. No nothing. Just soft sniffles. Her bright blue eyes looking back at Mommy. And one word, one word that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Ouchie. (laughs) Telling you, I felt awful. You could see the pain in her eyes. You could see all of the questions that she's not able to verbalize. Why are you doing this to me? This is horrible. I I trusted you. You brought me here. You jabbed this big needle in my arm. What good could possibly come from this situation? Right? That's the same thing with God. There's things that we're not going to understand. We don't understand the whole story. We don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. We don't understand, but what we do know is we know how the story ends. We know that there's going to be good that comes from it, right? The the, the suffering is going to be temporary. I don't want my girl to get whatever hepatitis, tetanus, whatever shot she got that day. I want to prevent that in the future. So we're going to cause a little pain and suffering today so that going forward you'll be more... Stalwart, if I can use that word, you'll be, you'll have more fortitude as you as you enhance as you, you know, come face to face with bigger and fiery trials. Right. <clears throat> this whole idea of God's sovereignty is illustrated in another Avengers film. In case you don't know, um, I have a good friend named Dan who's uh, helped me understand the the joys of the Avengers series. See, Doctor Strange had this shiny green stone, right? Dr. Strange in The Avengers, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything, but if you haven't seen the film, I, it's, it's long enough. I can, I can get, go here, right? Dr. Strange used the shiny green stone to look at 14 million possibilities to defeat the evil Thanos, right? Big purple guy with the gold glove, right? <clears throat> so if Dr. Strange is considered a hero for picking the one chance in 14 million that the Earth had to defeat this foe, perhaps... We should give God the same heroic applause, the, the, the same heroic character that we give Dr. Strange, right? Because, what do we know? Dr. Strange had a foe in mind and made a choice to allow some evil. He allowed half of the world to be completely erased, right? In order that the one chance in 14 million would ultimately defeat the foe. What we know about God is that God has eternity in mind. And he's made a choice to allow limited evil in order to ultimately destroy evil for infinity and the future to come, right? Okay, Pastor Will, your stories are cute, but you don't understand what I'm going through. My, 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 my suffering, my pain, my evil, it's bigger than a shot for a two-year-old. It's bigger than a Hollywood film. The, the evil that I'm experiencing is, is, is real, I can't even see past it. It's like, this, it's like this big mountain in front of me that I, I, every time I think about life, I just scream out why, right? So I'm gonna encourage you, if you're having a hard time understanding how God can be putting you personally through the evil that you're going through today, let's look at the New Testament. Let's look not just at what God's done in, in the past, but let's look at this from another view. Because on the cross, on the cross we will see How far God went to fulfill his promise. Is God going to make good on his word? When we say that he's going to walk through the fiery trials with us. When he says he's going to go through the deep waters and it's not going to drown us. Is his promise true? And only in the New Testament can we find that promise fulfilled. And this promise is unique to the God of the Bible. This promise uh, is unique to Christianity Because the Christian God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who came down in the person of Jesus Christ is the only one who has actually walked in our shoes. The only one who's actually gone through the same trials and tribulations that all of us go through and come out on the other side. Pain, suffering, torture, whatever it is for you today, Jesus went through it. Jesus was lynched. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was beaten. And, and, and so much so that Isaiah writes, his appearance was so disfigured that he didn't even look like a man. And his form didn't resemble that of a human being. Now, I'm not trying to downplay what you're going through today. I can't possibly know what all the pain and all the suffering is for everybody in this room. But what I can say is that if your situation is bringing you to tears, if your situation is painful, if your situation is keeping you up at night screaming, why God, why? Why? We can look to the cross, we can see Jesus going through pain, we can see Jesus going through suffering, we can see Jesus crying out to God, why God, why, on the cross. And it's amazing to know that God, the same God that we're worshiping this morning, has suffered in many of the same ways, if not more, than what we're going through today. So, what's the consequence from ending a relationship with someone? You ever thought about that? What are the consequences if your relationship is just completely cut off? Well, in today's day and age, um, we just kind of move on, don't we? It's kind of like, okay, if you don't want a relationship with me, that's fine. I'll go do my thing. You go do your thing. But on the cross, we see that Jesus went one step further. We see that Jesus cut off his relationship with the Father. We see that, that, that Jesus and the Father had this plan in heaven and that he was going to come down to earth and he was going to be our atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins. But the question that we have to answer is, what was more than the physical suffering that Jesus endured? What was more than, 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 the, than the torture? What, what caused him to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was a rift in the relationship between the Father and the Son on the cross that we celebrated last week on Easter Sunday, right? So when you think about not only the cost of ending a relationship with a person, but what's the cost of ending a relationship with God? Because there was a, there was a complete separation between the Father and the Son for a moment as he died, as his relationship with love itself was completely cut off. For the first time ever, there was a break in the Trinity because the Father and the Son were opposed What are the consequences for ending a relationship like that? On the cross, Jesus suffered more uh, than we suffer because he suffered not only the physical aspects of the world, but he suffered the effects of being removed from the presence of God. Jesus stared into the ultimate fiery furnace. Jesus took that that cup of wrath for you and I and suffered for us, in our place, for our sins, once and for all. Because God did the stressing so that we could receive the blessing. So with the cross in full view, I think we have a better understanding of what God went through in order to fulfill his promise to walk through the trials with us. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus did that very thing. He walked through the trials that you and I experience today. He took the worst of the evil and suffering, and he took it a step further. Because he took the cup of wrath for all of the sins, past, present, and future, that humanity would, would, would commit, and took it on himself, willingly. So, with the cross in view, to answer the question, why would a good God allow pain and suffering? When you, when you understand what Jesus did on the cross, you understand what the answer to that question isn't. Because the answer to the question isn't, God, God why do you allow pain and suffering? The, the answer can't be because God doesn't love us, right? The answer can't possibly be anything other than that because he loved us so much that he was willing to give up his only son for you and for me. And and, and while the cross can't answer the question directly, it points you into the direction of where God's heart is for all of humanity. For you, for me, for everybody in this room. God's calling you to experience the love that he has for you. The love that he was willing to give everything for you. The cross illustrates this fact so deeply that God cares immensely, so personally that he is willing to suffer the pain and evil on your behalf. So Peter writes in verse 3, Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiling, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. I have a close friend and brother in Christ who's going through cancer right now. You know, there's, there's something to be said about keeping your eyes on the finish line. And uh, uh, while it might be a great way to, to win the race at Talladega today, I, don't, I, I never expected uh, what the effects of keeping your eyes on the prize would actually manifest uh, in this friend's life. Because I call him, not as often as I wish I could, but I, I call him and I want to lift his spirits, right? It's like, hey, I, I want to encourage you. You're a good friend of mine. Let me help you walk through this. You know, we're going to walk through this together. And little did I know that our phone calls oftentimes leave me speechless oftentimes leave me unable to, to, to say anything. And I'm the one getting prayed over. And I'm supposed to be encouraging my brother in, in, in Christ, right? But the fact is, when you see somebody who's going through a trial that's so real, going through a trial that's so great, and you see the hope that they have in God, it's inspiring. It's inspiring. When you see the living hope that people have as they face these trials and, and, and the evil that this world has to offer... You sit back and you're like, this is amazing. I want to be like that when I'm, when I'm older. I want my faith to be so rock hard that, that, that not even cancer can shake me. And I don't know what you're going through. But there are people in this room, there's people around you at work that are going through situations. And we want our hope. We want to be able to, to, to share the promises that God has, that God has spoken with those people who are suffering. So when Peter talks about this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, he's not talking about a hypothetical concept. He's not talking about just a regular thing that you'd read in a textbook, right? He's looking at our everyday situations. He's looking at every situation that we go through with the lens of eternity. And that's the finish line that we wanna be focused on. That's what's propelling my friend through this trial that he's going through. And that's what should propel us As we encounter evil, as we encounter suffering, as we go through the fiery furnace of life, we should keep our eyes on the finish line. We should find our hope in the living hope that comes through Christ. So what is the finish line? Do we we have an answer for that? What what is this this finish line that should sustain us? It's like, I get it, Pastor Will. You want me to keep my eyes on the prize? What is the prize? The, The prize is another promise from God. The prize is that one day our joy will be complete. The prize is that everything that we experience here on earth is going to be made new. The prize is just as you receive Jesus and you get a new nature and you're reborn into this, into this community of God and, you, and you, for the first time your eyes are open and you see how good of a father God actually is. That when we can sing these songs that say, all my life you have been good, all my life you have been faithful. that when you realize that God's been there the whole time, you realize that you don't have to stress about the details because God's already done the suffering so that or stressing so that you can receive the blessing. So, what was Jesus' hope? How did Jesus get through the fiery furnace, the ultimate fiery furnace that he went through? And we find this in Hebrews 12. It says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And we can agree that in order to get through these sufferings, these trials, we need to have a living hope. And so it was appropriate to end this morning by asking, what was Jesus's living hope? What was it that propelled him to leave the Father's side in the first place? He had everything he needed in heaven, right? What was the living hope that was so valuable, so important to Jesus, that he was willing to give up his, uh, his um, sovereignty in heaven, his, his royal position, that he was willing to give that up, come down, endure the cross, and what propelled him through that whole thing? And this is the amazing thing about the gospel. When you find out that Jesus' living hope was you. You were that living hope. You were what, was that, what led him to come down to the earth. That you and me and all of us are so valuable to God that he's willing to go through the fiery furnace for us. That is the definition of salvation. That is what God is calling us to do. And that's the hope, church, that we are to carry to people who are suffering, who are going through evil. We are to deliver the hope that Jesus came down for us. That when he's going through the fiery furnace, he had us at the forefront of of his mind. That he had us on his mind as he was dying. As he said, it is finished. It was for every single one of us in this city. And when we look out, and we see that less than what, less than 10% of Kenosha is saved, when we see that we can go through these fiery furnaces of life, when we see people who are, that are going through evil, going through suffering, and we see this, the, the stress that God has gone through, we want to carry the blessing of Jesus Christ to people who don't know it. We want people to know that they have hope in Jesus, that when the, that when the fiery furnace of life comes and it's in plain view, we can explain the hope that we have in Jesus and bring that to the people who need to hear it to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to people in the hospitals going through cancer. And that's our job. That's our job as missionaries in this city to bring the living hope forefront to people who have none. Because God's already done the stressing. If you're a Christian in this room, you've already received the blessing. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if today you've never come face to face, with how much God loves you. You've never realized to what lengths God went to die and to show his love for you. I just want you to raise your hand and say, God, I believe in you. Maybe it's never been real to you before, thank you. Maybe it's, maybe it's never made sense, but I just want to see you raise your hand so we can pray for you, so that we can help you grow and we can help you take a next step into receiving the blessing that Jesus suffered and stressed so that you can be with him. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Father, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for the people that are putting their faith and hope and trust in you for the first time. And I ask, I can't know what fears, what failures, what struggles, what, what, what suffering that they're going through, but I ask that you would meet them there. I ask that you would make good on your promise. I ask that in the midst of their suffering that they would see Jesus, that they would see their good Father who loves them so much. Who's willing to go through everything and then some for them. I pray that they would put their faith, hope, and trust in you now, and that they would see you as the ultimate salvation, as the ultimate hope for whatever they're going through. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.